for joining for this episode of the Techspective podcast. Uh, my guest is uh, Michael Halstead. Uh, Mike, if you could, I, I, I shouldn't call you Mike, Michael, Michael, Mike, uh, if you want to introduce yourself and give a little bit of background. Sure, Tony, please call me Mike. Uh, my mom calls me Michael, so she's the only one who has that honor, and usually when I was in trouble. Uh, yeah, so thanks. Uh, so uh, my background is 20 plus years working for a top International Bank and IT and Cybersecurity, uh, last five of which I was a regional CISO for the Americas, uh, at Launch Consulting on Managing Director for Cybersecurity and Financial Services. Okay, very good. So, I guess, first of all, uh, can you give me a little bit of background on Launch Consulting? Because I'm not familiar with Launch Consulting Group. So, like, what what's Great. the overall focus or scope of Launch Consulting? Absolutely, Tony. So uh, Launch Consulting is a global AI-first consulting partner for financial 1,000 organizations, and we help transform their businesses in the digital age. So a lot of focus um, in digital transformation. I already mentioned AI, data, cyber, cloud, and management consulting across uh, multiple industries. All right. Very good. So I guess one of the main things that that I wanted to have you on to talk about is um, is is this focus on educating uh, C-suite executives and and as as background uh, before I got into the cybersecurity marketing and and kind of journalism and writing side of things um, I did once upon a time you know work on the network admin and cybersecurity architect trenches side of the, the equation as well and. So I know like when I was when I was doing network admin stuff and I'm I'm dating myself because you know we're going back 20 years now. But no about networks back then. <laughs> actually one of my first official duties was uh ripping out Novell uh, uh at the at the company I joined. Um but the you know the C suite at the time, you know, 20 years ago, you just kind of like you know we we as the as the network admins and cybersecurity uh, professionals just kind of did things for them and like the other we didn't expect them to know anything. Order I mean, takers. I, mean, I I knew I, I knew all of their passwords because they couldn't be bothered yeah. to like you know log in and do things and you know but it was a different it was a different time. So I mean obviously it's, it's a different time now than it was even five years ago. So as as threat actors have gotten smarter and as the attack surface has grown and the threat landscape has grown, it it has become much more imperative for a C-suite executive or for anyone for anyone to have more awareness, to to at least know what's going on. So so I guess share your thoughts on 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 that concept and and, and how do we how do we address that in terms of educating the C-suite? Certainly. So first off, um, you'd be surprised on how many executive assistants still have their bosses' passwords. Um, I know there's a lot more tooling where they can actually do emails on behalf of them, but uh, it's still uh, an area, and actually the executive assistants are targeted quite often uh, by bad actors. Uh, and they find out who they are, uh, and they go after them because they know that they have that that privileged access, uh, similar access is what their bosses have. So um, while some things may have changed, some things stay the same. So right. um, that being said, you know, I think that 
why is important for C-suite? Um, and there's a number of reasons, but first off is that um, they're the ones who hold the purse strings. They set the objectives for the company. So your cybersecurity plan or strategy needs to be in alignment with, with the C-suite, with those business objectives. Um, you also, it, it's not just um, an IT problem, um, you know, and that's been historically kind of the thought, oh, well, my cyber guys or my IT guys will handle that. Everyone plays a role in this. And in order to get that kind of collaboration or part of your company's DNA, you really need buy-in from the top. They need to understand that and they need to promote that in um, the way they speak to their employees, um, get them to participate in um, you know, uh, cyber awareness training, be the keynote speaker for kicking off. Um, and the other reason is, is that they're also heavily targeted. Um, so they um, are well known. They're on the company websites. Um, the the bad actors probably know them better than you and I, right? Uh, know them, and you know they have what's called a digital footprint, right? And so everything that they post, every website they're on, that's all available to hackers and they'll or the bad actors, and they'll use that information to plan attacks. Uh, social engineering, uh, you name it. So I think um, there's a number of reasons, but it's really to get the company culture um, really understanding why cybersecurity is just not an IT problem, it's everyone's problem. And that, oh, by the way, um, you know, this is becoming very serious that if we don't take this seriously, that um, in some cases we could go out of business or we could have significant share right. price drop um, or reputational risk or regulatory scrutiny, which is certainly happening in the financial services industry. Yeah, well, so to kind of hit on, I, I guess, kind of both sides of what you just, which, what you just described. On the one hand, with you know, where you want the the sort of mentality and the directives to come from the top down, at the very least, you want to, you know, as you want the employees to see that everyone's playing by the same set of rules, so to speak. Because um, I think I think sometimes C-suite executives just kind of think, oh, well, you know, th those rules are for them. Um, I, I'm just going to go over here and do my thing. Nobody's even going to notice. But the thing is, people do notice. And it's a little bit like, you know, it's it, it's like a, 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 a police cruiser pulling you over for speeding or whatever, because it's like, well, wait, I just watched you speeding. Like, why? Right. right. <laughs> like, who, who, why do you have the authority to pull me over for speeding? I just watched you do it. Um, you know, so people in the company, they, 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 see, they see that and they, and they say, OK, well, I guess that rule wasn't as important as they made it sound because they're not doing it. Um, and then the other side of it being, yes, they are increasingly targeted and. It. You know, the, 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 the digital footprint you reference or whatever, the, 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 the kind of the web of things that they have access to and touch or whatever, I think is much bigger than most people think about. I mean, actually, just as a, a, a I guess, sort of a, it's, it's not directly related, but as an example, if you like pick up your, your, your phone, and I mean, I have an iPhone, if you start going through and closing apps, you know, which I don't do frequently, but if you just wanted to close all of the apps and you have to sit there and swipe, 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 and you realize just how many apps you've used. Like, I don't feel like I use that many. I feel like I, you know, I basically do like four or five things on my phone, but if I give it a week and I go in there, 
there's a hundred apps to close down. Mm-hmm. And you know, and probably most of those apps have like a you know username and password. If I if I go on the website and I see that you're the CEO, CTO, CFO, I can then go back out and say, okay, well, I don't need to try to get into the company network. I can just go figure out well, where else are you playing? I can go look for your Facebook profile, your LinkedIn profile. I can go, you know, search a hundred different ways and then try and figure out how do I come in? How do I hack you through your target account <laughs> yeah. so that I can then get to the company? Yeah. And, and how many of them use the same user ID and password on their personal devices as they do? And that's one of the things. And it's hard to prevent that, right? Because we just don't have access into the personal devices, right? Um, and we can't see that, but a, a lot of them do. But you're right, that's that's the starting point for a lot of these attacks are through the the, the personal information because they've, they've lost controls so than a you know, corporate environment would have. But it's interesting you had mentioned around um, the C-suite and I'm not gonna call it bad behavior, but they don't always necessarily set lead by example. Um, these things. I think they're very busy. Uh, they have a lot of things that are used to delegation, a lot of different things going. And so sometimes that may be a reason why they aren't always practice, uh, practicing best practices. And um, I can tell you that personally, um, I've had several conversations, many suites, suites when we do phishing training or testing, right? They actually had a higher uh, incident rate than the average employees. Right, so it's a uh, it's an interesting dilemma for sure. Um, but you know, and, and some some things like it, when when it comes to like tracking down someone, like if I go if I go you know find you on your on your website, but then I go try and find you other ways. Some of that sounds a little far fetched. It sounds mm-hmm. like something from a Dan Brown novel or you know Mission Impossible movie or whatever, but. You know, uh, uh, I often will come in and my, my, my wife will be watching the show on MTV, uh, Catfish or whatever. Yeah. And the whole thing is, it, it, you know, and, and, and you just watch and it takes them, you know, a couple hours of doing some research to just start connecting dots and be, and, and you, you do some reverse image searches and you're like, oh, I found you over here. You're on this program. And it's like, it can be done. You know, you can, you can, you can track someone down or even just look at when there's an incident that occurs like publicly and then the video is shared online how like the the you know the 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 amateur private investigators of the internet will very quickly tell you exactly who that person is where they work you know where they live what color car they drive yeah for sure i mean it's the law enforcement's got got that capability as do the bad guys right um of really getting that that digital footprint breadcrumbs you know all that good stuff so it's it's definitely out there and it's almost like you know it's like back to the c-suite thing it's um and there are probably some organizations mature organizations who do this where they actually do um support them um at their homes right and they do you know look at their network they look at the different devices that connect into their network they look at their routers um and help ensure that they can't uh you know get breached at home Okay. Um, one thing, this is related, but a conversation mm-hmm. I had earlier this week was a 
around, you know, a, a vendor report, you know, an, an annual vendor report, you know, and it wasn't Verizon DBIR, but, you know, an annual vendor report. And we were talking about the, the findings and I was like, all right, look, not to be cynical or jaded about it or anything, but like the key findings are always the same pretty much. <laughs> and, and I said, and, and I, and I pointed out how for a decade plus now, there's always at least one, if not three or four annual password reports about the most cracked passwords. And it's the same damn list every time, you know, for 10, 15, 20 years, the list is the same. It's one, two, three, four, it's admin, it's password. And I'm like, so we keep putting out these reports as an industry, you know, as, as cybersecurity professionals and as cybersecurity media, we share this information every year. We say, hey, look, you know, we've done a survey. We've done, you know, we've dug into the, the data and looked at the logs. Here's all the, the top cracked passwords. Don't use those. You know, we've come over here and we've looked and said, hey, you know, uh, you know, not not enabling multi-factor authentication or poor identity hygiene and leaving zombie accounts open is is actually an Achilles heel and you should fix that. And yet next year's report will come out and that will still be one of the top vectors. Um, yeah. So the question becomes, I mean, not that we, from, from my perspective, it's not that we shouldn't look at that information and compile that information and share that information, but I feel like we also, it seems like we obviously must be, we, we must do something else as well, because just sharing the information every year doesn't seem to be changing behavior. It's not, it's not moving the needle. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think um, you're right. You see a lot of the, the similarities and what's the definition of insanity, right? Same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And, and it, it is the same result. Um, certainly, I think MFA is a, a good direction and getting away so if they do get the password you know there's another form of authentication that's required um what what we found and what i've heard is that um mfa is great but organizations either aren't implementing it correctly or they have poor enrollment processes so actually the bad guys aren't focused on the mfa itself they're focusing on, okay, I can now go um, and get a token and get a, you know, um, my credentials um, because there's a weak enrollment process. And now I've, I've got myself, um, you know, an, an entry point into the organization. So, you know, I think that really it's still, and, and everyone in, in, even in RSA in San Francisco will say, still say MFA continues to be one of the strongest defense against a number of different attacks. But you've got to look at the way you implement it uh, and look for any weaknesses or vulnerabilities around that. But I think, you know, back to your point, it's um, it, it it's it's still surprising on um, how often these are repeated. And and what's going up is the cost of cybersecurity, right? You know, it's eight. Eight trillion in 2023, I think 10 trillion 2025, um, with some of the common things and and just not only on the personal basis, but but companies still aren't looking at that that basic hygiene, um, password complexities and and things like that. Well, and you know, again, going back to my network admin days, and, and again that yeah predates a lot of stuff that we have, you know, that, that has come since then. But um, I can say that it was always way easier 
to set up an account, to grant permission. You know, if someone's coming to you and they're like, look, Tony, I'm trying to get my job done. I need access to this server, yada, yada, yada. I'm in the middle of five other things. I'm like, you know what, boom, 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 boom. Here you go, you've got access, have fun. Um, what doesn't happen is me then coming back a couple of days later and saying, Bring hey, Bob, do you still need that access or are you done with that? You know, mm -hmm. and, and companies still deal with that. It's real easy to grant permission, but people are really bad about the hygiene on the back end. Yeah, for sure. And that that's, you know, a movers, levers, joiners, um, the, the, the levers. And that's not only um, people who you know, leave the organization, but if they transfer roles within the organization and updating that um, and doing having a discipline around doing access recertifications and, and having an access recertification on, on a quarterly basis, access recertification process that does not tick the box. Um, and I've seen it myself. I've had you know, admins who've had thousands of accounts and you'd have to go through, oh, well, that looks good, that looks good. No, that doesn't. It, it almost becomes um, the point where it's, it's not effective because you really you know, can't, can't manage it in that manner. So you're right, that's identity access management, um, privilege access continues to be a huge Achilles heel in organizations and they really have and that kind of goes back to the c-suite is that you know um them understanding that and them pressuring a lot of the you know data owners or uh business owners uh to perform these activities yeah well and i in, in those situation with joiners movers levers i feel like movers is the one that i think a lot of companies uh, I mean, levers as well but Movers is is a, is a it, it generally gets less scrutiny and less discipline about it because I'm like, well, you're still an employee. Like I don't need to like I don't need to like concern myself like you're, you know, gonna hack us. Like you I, mm -hmm. you move from this team to that team, I'll get to it eventually. Like you know, yeah, I think companies are generally okay about shutting down accounts when people leave. Although I will say, you know, I I, I had I still had a an active email address with the company like 10 years after I stopped working with them. Yeah. You know, so, so it, you know, it, it, there's definitely room for improvement there as well, but it's that, you know, again, you know, you're, you're, as people move from team to team or a project ends and you just don't need access to that anymore. It's just, it's, it's not as, uh, it's not as big of a fire to put out though, when you're still an employee. Um, and so it's not a high priority, but it is something that, widens your attack surface from a from an attack perspective. It, absolutely. And you know, that individual, yeah, they're still with the company. We don't need to to manage the access that they just left behind. Well, maybe one of the bad actors or an internal, right, person um is has is using that account and shouldn't be. And it's not really being monitored because oh it's it's a it's an active account within. So yeah, I completely agree. And and the other area is with third parties so um third party access when when someone leaves the organization uh is not managed as effectively as it in, is internally right and that's for all movers levers and joiners for and sure of course as you know third parties continue to be um popped on a pretty regular basis and you know i think there was a stat out there like um most companies, at least 50% of the third parties have been hit um, within, you know, uh, cyber attacks. Um, 
going back a step when you were mm-hmm. talking about MFA, um, like, yes, it, like it, it, it adds this layer. I've, I've seen people argue that, well, it's not, it's not, you know, perfect, especially if it's like SMS, you know, stuff like there are ways that a, a, a threat actor can like, you know, get in, get in and access to that as well. But all of those things from my perspective are like, okay, well, are there better things that you can look at? Sure. Like, you know, by all means, consider those. However, it's still better than not having the MFA. Like anything you do that just adds a layer of complexity, makes, you know, raises the bar a little bit, you know, basically an attacker is going to come in, they've got your cracked password, and then all of a sudden it says, okay, well, now I need you to, you know, give me the code from your authenticator app on your on your phone. And they kind of shrug their shoulders like, all right, well, I guess I'll move on to the next, I'll move yeah. on to the next password because most attackers don't have the resources to go figure out how to hack your your MFA or they don't or they don't even if they had the resources or the knowledge there are enough other people who don't have it that I'm not going to waste my time on you for sure and and it can be as simple as putting some speed bumps in place right where you know um one of the previous organizations I worked with um they just put in a date of birth check Right. And you would you think that, well, that's something that's easily accessible, but it's it's about time. And the bad actors are when they're doing these credential stuffing type of attacks, you know, they're looking at how quickly can I get this? And, you know, they don't want it to go uh, figure out, well, what is the date of birth for all these people that I have the user ID and passwords for? So um, it was a speed bump that wasn't, you know, ideally what we'd say is is the ultimate protection. But you no, know, those are certainly things. Additional layers. Uh, additional steps. Um, no one wants to hear, particularly those who are the user experience folks, right? But at the same time, you got to find that balance between, you know, getting hacked um, versus being protected. Well, and I, and I also think that one of the concerns or, or the thing that I would caution someone on is I would say, well, you know, by all means, ha- you know, have the have that in there as an, as a layer, but don't get lazy about it or whatever you know it's like uh the other example i i've, I've used is if you go back to the early days of wi-fi and then you know then they, they they cracked the web encryption and you know the, the tool was readily available anybody could go get the tool and, and and crack a web encryption in like under a minute um and there were people who were like well you know i guess you know, just don't don't enable the web encryption i'm like no do enable the web encryption because it's still like again, like uh, if I'm an attacker, I'll just move on to the next the next house. Like, why would I sit here and try and crack yours? You know, like not every not every attacker is going to you know have the have access to the tool. Or, or in that case, they would, but not not every attacker uh, is going to bother. Um, but the flip side of that is okay. But also, you know, like definitely leave the web on. But also, as soon as you can. Upgrade to Web two, upgrade to WPA. Like you know, don't don't get lazy and say, well, I've got this. You know, it's it, it's an extra you know layer of defense, and so I'm good. It's like, well, no, it's better than nothing, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't look for ways to improve it. And that's not only on personal basis, but it's at the corporate level, right? And you know, just the I, how many old systems that are still out there, which are very vulnerable, you know, Microsoft XP, you'd be surprised that and still run some mission critical, you know, functions within these organizations. Um, and it's just, uh, 
you know, there's there's cost to upgrade them. Um, you know, of course, there's people. Um, it's a bunch. It's challenges that that are out there. Yeah, and yeah, speaking of like the the like kind of the upgrading operating systems or or or, or patch management things. Uh, a, a number of years back, I had a conversation with someone where we were, we were looking at. I don't know. Let's say it was Heartbleed. You know, some something we were looking at, and comparing the numbers, it was like a year after the fact, and we were looking at all right. So you know, eighty nine percent have have updated, but you know, there's this eleven percent that haven't. And I made some comment about you know the the laziness or the negligence of this of this eleven percent, and the person I was talking to pointed out is like, no, there gets to be a certain point where like. As far as the people or the systems that are going to be updated, they are done. It's not like you're waiting for this 11% to update. They're not going to. If they were going to, they would have already done it. Mm -hmm. And if they're not, there's a reason they're not. Either it's a system that just can't be, you know, they don't have access to, or it just can't be updated for whatever reason. But like at, at some point after, you know, three months, six months, a year, whatever systems are left that haven't been upgraded or, or, or patched, you have to assume there is no intent to do so, um, and 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 kind of, I guess, hope uh, that there are you know they have other mitigating factors in place. The, the hope hope that they know, like yes, that is a vulnerable system. However, I I cannot update this system for whatever reason. So I've got these other barriers in place, or I've got other monitoring in place, so I can tell you know what's going on. Um, you know, but yeah. And, and in a lot of those cases, from what I've seen, when it comes to companies that are still running like Microsoft, X, uh, like Windows XP and stuff, it comes down to they've built their entire, you know, accounting system, their entire HR system is on some proprietary software from some, you know, company that doesn't even exist anymore. And yeah. and they look at it, and they say, well, should we buy a new software that runs on Windows 11 so we can upgrade? Sure. But what's the cost involved? Like, what's you know, how 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 much heavy lifting it has to happen for me to then convert all of my data from this system to this system? And at some point, you just kind of go, you know what? Never mind. Right. We'll just keep it running. We'll take we'll we'll, we'll take the risk. But it's interesting that your your comment around the the patching and the you know ninety percent versus ten percent, and and you've seen that a lot of organizations have their, you know, I've hit ninety five percent, but Five percent are still unpatched, and so well, why are they unpatched? Well, because the vendor, we're relying on the vendor, and and they don't have a patch, or they can't do the patch, or the business um, can't be down right to do the install, the patch, and you know that seems to be okay, but the problem is, is that that's a pretty, if you think about it. You know, if they have a thousand servers, that's a that's a lot of servers that are unpatched that are yep. targets, and and they will, you know, the the bad actors will navigate around and 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 find those, or they'll find that old development server. That's where it's, you know that uh, no one is looking at, doesn't have the same controls, um, and then they'll uh, exploit it. Yeah, but like when I was when I was at EDS. Like at one point, I was doing like implementing Microsoft cluster systems in General Motors plant environments, uh, and then I was doing security for General Motors. 
And you know what what you learn very quickly is that the plants are fiefdoms. Like a manuf in a manufacturing facility, they don't fully an answer to the company or or even the board. Like they they kind of answer the board, but ultimately they're like, no, I run my plant. And my main concern is keeping production going and maximizing, you know, revenue, re maximizing production. Um, and if your thing, whether it's implementing a server or updating a, a system or applying software for security, if that's going to get in the way at all, I'm just going to say no. Yeah, yeah, that I, that brings back great memories. Uh, we. Uh, EDS and, and GM uh, worked for a company that did the GM card. It was one of the first largest affinity cards out there, uh, private label cards. So I worked with the guys at EDS, and it was uh, some some pretty strict process that was yeah. followed there. Um, I was, you know, in in those cases, I think it comes down. Well, I think it should come down to uh, it, from for when in the in the instance of the plant. I think that the consideration is different, but there is when you're deciding, you know, if you've got a system and it needs to be updated, you know it needs to be updated, but you're you're doing kind of a pros and cons, you know, cost benefit analysis of like, you know, what's what is this update going to take? How is this update going to impact our operations and productivity versus what is the risk we're exposing ourselves to? Uh, and and making a and and hopefully making a conscious choice of okay we're willing to accept this risk you know or, you know we'll, we'll put these mitigations in place but we're willing to accept this risk as the better the better uh, the better evil yeah and it's a difficult thing to because the business will accept any risk right so that you know they can can move on but being able to explain it in a manner so that they they truly understand what they're accepting, um, particularly in patch management, can be a, a bit of a challenge. Um, the other thing with patch management is just the uh, the unknowns and you know going through the whole log4j thing. I mean, um, we didn't know where log4j existed um, in our environment, and a lot of the industry tools couldn't find it. So that was months of remediation work, discovering remediation work before we were able to find it and upgrade it. So it's a continuous challenge for the cybersecurity industry. I think you know a lot of the tooling that's coming out, AI will definitely help um, with that, but it's still something that's um, not been solved. Yeah. Well, you know, so you mentioned you mentioned AI. Obviously, that's been the hot topic all year, um, both pro and con. You know, you know there's there obviously many benefits to it. There's also all the all the all of the concerns, either you know, ethically, morally, <laughs> also from a security perspective. Um, and one of the areas, you know, you talked about like the you know doing like phishing phishing test type things with uh, the C-suite or with companies in general. And, you know, obviously one of the big concerns is, oh, well now all of those phishing attacks that were very obviously phishing attacks because the English was so bad, right. um, should be able to be better because now I you know if I, even if English isn't my first language, I don't, I don't need to know what, what I'm saying. I can just ask ChatGPT to say it. Yeah, it's created, will create 
um, a lot of challenges. Um, you know, if you take not only the the perfect phishing emails, but deepfakes, right? And now you've got the whole video, and you actually think someone is, you know, looks like your boss or and asking you to do something. Um, it creates a whole new realm of of challenges for organizations. And you know, AI is still in the, AI has been around for a long time, as you know. But in the cyber world, um, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for you know a lot of the you know big vendors out there are already using it as part of their tooling. Um, you know, it's going to uh, increase detection rates, remove false positives in the environment, which is a huge you know, challenge for the cyber industry, streamline threat intel, but at the same time, bad guys are going to have the same thing. So this, you know, they're going to have offensive tools, AI tools, right. um, and so it'll almost be an AI, a uh, bit of an AI war out there between good and good and evil. Well, and it's an example of, um, you know, I, I, I've I've said forever that like everything, everything that makes Everything that simplifies something for you or makes your life easier or more convenient also exposes you to risk because everything that makes it easier for you also makes it easier for the threat actor as soon as they figure out how to how to access it or leverage it in some way. Um, you know, and then uh, it's like I'm looking at the book, um, Miko Hiponen came out, you know, he wrote the book, uh, If It's Smart, It's Vulnerable. And it's like, you know, you know, it's like th those things are. Uh, you know, like I say, it, it, the AI, it can do great things, but it can also do great things for the bad guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's, you know, it's it's going to create a lot of new roles, such as, you know, used to be red teaming, right? So these are good guys who are going in and hacking the internal, you know, uh, company systems. Now they're AI red team, so they're going to actually look at using AI to get in and um, simulate what what the bad actors could be doing. So it's it's a quite an interesting space. It's going to continue to evolve. A, a lot of discussion at, at RSA in San Francisco around AI. Um, you know, sure. Last five years was cloud. Now it's it's all AI. Yeah. Um... A little more broadly on on the, the the phishing issue. So I mean, I've I've been you know I've received the phishing test emails. You know where you're like you, you know you get it, you kind of look at it, and, ah, I don't know. And then you know the company usually if it's if it's a company implemented system, there's usually some kind of a link or something to like report this to IT. Mm -hmm. um, and you know basically that's how you you've passed. If you report it to IT, you win. Um, if you click on the link, you lose, and you have to go do additional training. Um, where I've heard recently uh, uh, of a couple, you know, scenarios and, and and anecdotally I've heard about it for years is like some companies kind of messed that up a little bit by running a phishing test of something where 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 the lure is something the company could or should do. <laughs> right. You know, like, right. Like the, I forget the exact scenario, but it was like basically like all the all all of the employees had been asked to like give up their weekend to to you know push this this thing out and 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 just you know bust bust their asses to to work through the weekend and get this thing done, 
And then on Monday, they get this, you know, email that says, hey, you know, to, to thank you guys for all your hard work, you know, we're giving everyone these, you know, Starbucks gift cards. And when you click on it, they're like, ha you got caught in the phishing attack. And everyone was like, okay, but you, you should be giving me a damn Starbucks card or something. Right, right, exactly. And now um, I'm not getting it. And plus, I have to go do additional training. And, you know, right. some companies will actually... Uh, looking at docking some of your pay, right? If you're a repeat offender um, around the whole fishing side. So yeah, it's, it's, I don't think that that process has necessarily been streamlined. Um, I mean, the good news is that in corporate, a lot of these tools are pretty good, right? So by the time it's gotten to you, it's gone through you know, a lot of screening and even if you're clicking on it, you're you're kind of it's going on to a sandbox and it's being detonated to make sure that there's nothing malicious around it. I'm not saying that we shouldn't still be uh, diligent about those emails, but that space has gotten a lot more secure from my perspective. Sure. Um, I had a thought and it, it just escaped me. But, um, oh, I was going to say that once upon a time, I was much more of the mentality that, like, user awareness training wasn't as, as, as valuable. Like, I, I, I was on the side of the fence of saying, you know what? You can you can try and do all the training you want, but that's not their that's not their job. Like the, the, they don't they they don't care about it because it's not their job and it's they're not interested in it. And so you spend all this money and resources and time and effort trying to teach people, but ultimately that doesn't it doesn't fundamentally change your security, and it doesn't change your job as a security professional. Like you still have to figure out how to defend and everything. I've the, the the evolution of the threat landscape has has then shifted my mindset though because it's like you can't not you know like you you as a user like I don't care what your job is whether it's related to IT or security or not you need to know a thing or two like it's it's not it's not optional you you can't just shrug your shoulders and go hey I don't work in IT I don't need to know that it's like no you do you need to know something um, yeah it it yeah. and. and Exactly. With the with the with the thrust of sophistication, it, it's hard to, to keep up with it. And even, you know, so you almost have to look at your training on an annual basis and say, does this still apply? Um, or do I do I need to update it? Um, and then there's also the are they taking it because they have to and they're, you know, multitasking and doing ten other things and we've all done it right at the same time while we have our training going on. But how do you capture them so that they're really getting something out of it is the, the biggest challenge. Um yeah. but it's it, and it's not it but it's it's also specific training. So role based, right? You're an executive assistant, here's what could potentially happen to you. You know, um you're a um Unix admin, right? Uh, many companies do Unix, but uh, Linux admin. And, and so, you know, here's a type of potential social engineering and or exploits or you, know, you should be um, maybe cleaning up your what you say you are in social media, right? So I think more targeted type training is definitely where it needs to be as opposed to more general training. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, and 
hitting on your point about yeah, you know, it's like you, you, you just turn it on, you know, the video plays, you're doing other things. And especially because because I because I've been a CISSP since 2002 and you know, it's like uh, I'll you know, I don't feel like I really need to pay Do that. They still have it like back then, 2002. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I I was a number like 31,000 something, so oh, okay. Um, uh so I don't feel like I need to pay that much attention. Like I can pass the quiz at the end of it. Uh, hopefully I can mm -hmm. pass the quiz at the end of this thing without, without you telling me anything. I should know this already. Um, right. But I've, I've encountered a couple of them that were more draconian in their implementation in that if you even left the tab of the browser, it stopped playing. Like you, you had to leave the browser active. So if I, if I tried to like do something in Microsoft Word at the same time, they're like, nope. Sorry, we're done. We're not. We're not going to play. Like you've got to leave this. This has to be the only active thing. Otherwise, the video won't play. And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Though so they've gotten creative with that because uh, they know that people multitask, and um, so I think it, it is getting better, but it still has some opportunities for improvement. Yeah. Well, and and I would say that the pandemic. And then the 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 shift to, to remote and hybrid work changes the 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 calculus of everything as well. Where it's like, well, when you were a worker sitting in a cubicle in the office on the network that I manage, that was one level of risk. Now that you're sitting at home on your personal network, but I'm letting you access company resources, that's a different thing. Now I now I need to now I need to educate you better. Oh, absolutely. And you know, there's home printing, right? So, you know, printing in the office, that's all managed. Um, and there's also the, the fact of um, now you're on a VPN and the bad guys know that, right? So, you know, the they were DDoSing the VPNs because if you can't get in, security guys can't get in, right, to do their jobs, it's a kind of a great way for them to come in. And so it's all a lot of different type of, um, Exploits. Of course, there were a lot of scams in that time frame um, with uh, the COVID relief, et cetera. But certainly it changed uh, movement from the office to the home and, and the controls and management that's required around that. And that, that's not going away because it looks like there's hybrids kind of here to stay. Yeah, I, I would say. Um, it, is, it is interesting to watch the back and forth somewhat like I feel like I feel like even some of the companies who were very emphatic about how successful remote work was you know where they, they you know they, they like a year into it they were like hey we've 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 looked at the metrics we've monitored productivity turns out productivity went up this is great but then as soon as everything kind of died down they're like all right everyone get back in the office and it's like well right. wait a minute you, you just told me productivity went up no oh. yeah yeah it's uh Interesting dilemma. I know there's a lot of companies now are coming back with four days. Well, they've got all this real estate. What are they going to do with it? No one's going to buy it. It. So, so when I was working at EDS, I was actually working. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll do the quick version of the story. I was working in an office, but I went into work one day and the the, the network was down, or it was at least crappy. 
And, you know, it was like one of those things where I was like, don't we do this? Don't we do this for a living for other companies? Don't we help them build their networks? Why does ours suck? <laughs> um, but I was like, you know what? I'm going home. I'm like, I've got a, I've got a very nice connection at my house. I'm just going to leave and go work there. And then I just didn't go back. And, you know, I just started working remote because I was like, hey, this is this is great. And a couple of years into that, uh, you know, at some point it got formalized with my manager. Like, all right, I have a work from home agreement. A couple of years into that, though, around 2005, I think they got a new CFO who looked at all of their leasing agreement, their, their, their real estate leases and was like, all right, we need to rescind all the work from home agreements. We need people in, in these offices. And. You know, and I had I had a whole debate with them about with my manager about it because I was like, look, you know, that's an hour of my time, you know, an hour of my life to get to work, an hour of my life to get home from work, you know, all of these other things. I'm like, you're you're cutting into the productivity. It's 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 just dumb. And it's like, but the whole thing came down to they were like, Well, we're locked into this lease, we're paying for this real estate, we want to put people in it. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if that's, a, if that's the best logic. I mean, I'm sorry that you're locked into a lease, but I don't think that my sitting there is going to change anything about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's, look, I mean, when people are home, yes, they probably can, they don't have the community, so they can log in at any time. Um, but there's also distractions, right? And I can admit I have distractions. The doorbell rings and the dog gets crazy and, you know, uh, kids are coming home, what have you. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's something that, uh, is evolving. And like you said, it's, it's going to be here to stay. Just, uh, how do we continue to use tooling to collaborate more? Um, and it, it's getting better. I mean, Microsoft teams, I think it's pretty, pretty solid product. Yeah. Um, well, to, to sort of try to wind down, but I wanted to ask you kind of like, what do you see? What are you seeing now and what do you kind of project for like, you know, the, the, the imminent future in terms of, uh, you know, things that, you know, the, the things you think that companies are not focused on enough and, and, and should be, and should be looking at. Well, the, what I see now is, um, of course the, the bad actors are getting much more sophisticated. Um, there's the ecosystem is broadening, broadening, I should say. So, um, when we say the ecosystem, it's, you know, you may have your data on premise, you may have your data sitting in the cloud, you may have your data sitting with a third party. Um, you, like you said, you work from home, right? And you've got different devices connecting into it. So the footprint has expanded um with a complex ecosystem so those have created you know um for the bad actors excellent opportunities right um to get in and and uh attack i think what the, what we're seeing is that a lot of companies have some of their foot in the cloud door some of their foot in the on-premise door and really haven't made that switch over one way or the another and so they've been maybe really were good at protecting on-premise, but now cloud's kind of a new area for them. And just by using the tooling that the cloud providers, you know, give you is not enough, right? So having to, to um, go in and um, implement your own 
encryption management, implement your own incident management, implement your own access management, providing them the education of that, of how to make that transition. Um, and, you know, using tools, we already talked about MFA, of course, but, you know, the, the new term is the XDR, extended detection response, right? So that's going beyond just your on-premise. Um, so I think that that's still a challenge for a number of organizations um, to align um, that that transition. Um, I think we already talked about it a little bit. Um, the AI is a bit unknown right now. Um, however, as it becomes more sophisticated, um, companies really need to start taking a look at their risk profiles and um, are they factoring in AI into those risk profiles? So when they do risk and controls assessments, is AR part of that? You know, I think, you know, traditionally it's been technology and cyber and data, um, but now you've got a, a new element with with AI. So it's kind of looking at it from that lens. It, AI shouldn't be this separate thing. It needs to be just like cyber was cloud it needs to be incorporated into your overall risk environment right um as a threat and risk and controls around that um and then obviously the other the biggest thing is well not one of the biggest things but another challenge is just the lack of skilled cyber resources right i think i saw something today there's 700 vacancies um so you know what's happened is that um, you've seen some of the really good technicians have been elevated up as the CISOs, right? Probably don't want to be CISOs, but, you know, because they're the, the most senior person in the organization, um, which means that, you know, um, there's other areas that are not being looked after within the organization. So I think that we really need to look at um, how to, to strengthen security teams um, to, you know, help defend against the, these new kind of cyber threats um, that are out there today. Um, so those are a lot of the challenges, how we're going to solve those. That's a different topic. Well, it's true. So uh, I can have you, I can have you back on. I'll talk about part one. We set up the problem. Part two, we can talk about how to solve it. Yeah. All right. Right. Um, well, thank you for, uh, thank you for taking the time. Uh, to join me, I think it was, a, it was a fun conversation. So, uh, yeah, look forward to uh, speaking again. Thanks so much, Tony. Have a great day. You too. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast, but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like. Let me know if you love it. Let me know if it sucks. And uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions you'd like to see answered in future posts. 